Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today is Peter. Peter, introduce yourself, please. Thanks, Jesse. This is Peter Chianka. I am, uh, I guess you'd call me Blogmaster over at Blogness at the Edge of Town, which is um, Bruce Springsteen blog I've been doing since 2007, so quite a, quite a few years now. It is the place to go for news and links and just a wonderful sense of respect, but with a sense of humor of Bruce and his music and his fans. It's somewhere I go daily. That's so you're the one. Yes. <laughs> no, I think many, many, many. So, Peter, I, why don't you give us a little bit of your background, maybe where you grew up, kind of your musical influences, and then tell me how you found Bruce. Sure, sure. Well, I'm uh, actually I, I'm in Boston, uh, Boston area now, but I'm a native New Yorker, which causes some conflicts during baseball season. I but imagine they have. I have a um, a family back in New York of Yankee fans and a 14 year old son who's a diehard Red Sox fan, and I'm stuck in the middle. I grew up so it's not not too far from Bruce country. Uh, yes, you know, stayed over. You know, it, it's uh, I, I I came upon Springsteen. I guess I mean you know I I grew up uh, you know uh, liking all the people that everybody liked in the early 80s when I was a kid. You know, Billy Joel was very big and Elton John at the time and you know, sort of your, your standard top top 40 stuff. But, but I, I I sort of came on uh, to Bruce. I, I, this is something a lot of Bruce fans don't like to admit, but I was I was a uh, born in the USA convert, you know, when all that was when all the diehard fans were like, who are all these new people? Peter, we should talk more about this. There is a smugness about, and not just Bruce fans, all musician fans, that kind of once your artist breaks through, you kind of have this smugness like, well, I liked him before. <laughs> right. You know, um, I was – the guy who wrote um, Spencer for Hire books, Robert B. Parker. Yep. Um, you know, I was at a very early book signing. I found him because of the TV show. And the person bef before me recording said, oh, you – talked about you knew me before the show and i kind of felt guilty like i'm sorry i didn't find you but <laughs> i did end up finding you and loving you born in the usa was we sometimes don't give it a lot of credit but it was a album that was filled with great songs no it was and i think coming from where i was at 15 years old on that steady diet of you know billy joel and elton john who are you know fine artists who i still enjoy sure. but um Hearing Springsteen, even uh, even Born in the USA Springsteen, it had a, a level to it that the other stuff I was hearing on the radio didn't have. You know, even Dancing in the Dark, which was probably, you know, everybody considers his poppiest single. If you listen to it, it's, you know, it's really a song about alienation, you know, and, and you know, about, uh, you know, not being happy with yourself. And, you know, it, it had that deeper level that, you know, you, you didn't necessarily hear on Top 40 radio at the time. So I think that's what intrigued me. And, and again, you know, a lot of it has to do with age. If, if I had been 15 when Born to Run came out, I think that would have spoken yeah. to me at that time. I think a lot of it depends on sort of just where you came into it. But it didn't take me long. You know, the minute, you know, a couple of spins through Born in the USA and said, I, you know, this guy's been around for a while. I got I to gotta, I gotta get some of his other stuff. And, you know, I had the whole catalog before long. And it's again, it just, you know, sort of spoke to me. Um, as, as it does to so many people, you know, who no matter where they come in, you know, sort of on the, the Bruce carousel, so to speak. I This will be controversial to a lot of fans, but um, I, I've told the story many times on the podcast, but I was a casual fan, did not hear about him till the river uh, because a friend of my now wife's, um, you know, was from going to school in the East Coast and kind of talked about him. And I was a casual fan and I really did not become obsessed Till the rising tour was when the first time I got to see him live. If I had my way, I would have a concert filled with nothing but tunnel love forward. Right. <laughs> because, right. you know, I, you just don't hear the, a lot of those songs live. And, and I would love that kind of I'm a fan of more of the newer stuff than I am the older stuff, though I recognize its greatness. Right, right. You know, it's funny. My wife is, is very similar. Um, and we're both big Springsteen fans, but she's mm -hmm. a huge fan of 
um, the Lucky Town album, um, and uh, a lot of the, the more recent stuff. And it's true, you know, you, you sometimes you leave oh, and you say, oh, I wish he had, you know, delved a little a little deeper into that recent stuff. But he is, as you know, I've, I've written about many times, uh, you know, for him, he has so many constituencies. There's yeah. no way he could possibly uh, satisfy all of them. So it's it's an amazing juggling act he does to satisfy as many of them, you know, as well as he does. Um, the people looking for the old stuff and the people who are new converts and, you know, and everybody in between. And it is true, the, the sort of where you came into it live. I didn't see him live. Well, I saw him with the other band. Okay. In the early, the early 90s. Um, I didn't see him with the E Street Band until the reunion tour. This is a story I, I, I've told many times. My um, he, When he was on the board in the USA tour, again, I was 15, um, and uh, I didn't have a driver's license, obviously. Right. And, um, and I did have the opportunity to see him on that tour in Hartford, Connecticut. But it would have involved my parents, you know, a lot, you know, picking me up at two in the morning and my <laughs> work the next day and this and that and the other thing. They said, you know what? You just saw Huey Lewis, that Huey Lewis, like three <laughs> weeks ago. I don't think you needed to go to another concert right away. So this is to this day, they they apologize to me. <laughs> For denying me that opportunity, it's like yeah, you know Huey Lewis. It's not like Huey Lewis, and I love Huey Lewis too. To yes, I understand. But um, it's not the same, especially so, this week of Back to the Future week. It is, you know, it is. And but I caught you know, him on. He showed up on Jimmy Kimmel the other day. Yeah, I, I just saw but, that clip. It was really funny. Yeah, God love our parents, right? We just, it's all one general bag. I grew up with comic books. You know, they're like. You just bought comic books last week. Why? Yeah, I, I had a, I had a lot of that too. <laughs> but there are more out there, don't you see? I yes, don't have all of them yet. More. My wife did not understand, and in, in fact, when he was going to tour, I, I can't remember if it was Magic or Working on a Dream, but I told her a friend of mine is a big Bruce fan and a big Bob Dylan fan. Bob Dylan played here in Dallas, House of Blues three nights in a row and Sam went to every night. You hear a lot about people in the East Coast, New Jersey, Philly, New York, you know, he'll do Bruce will do four or five nights in a row and they'll go every night. I was telling my wife, I said, I really want to see him more than once on a tour. And she looked at me, why? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because she pictures James Taylor, Brad Paisley, just these other, Billy Joel for that matter, Barry Manilow, just name whatever band you want. It's the same set list every night because it's a show. And so I kind of explained to her and she said, well, will you give up going to Dragon Con, which is a huge pop culture <laughs> Labor Day weekend in Atlanta, Georgia. And I said, yes, I will not go to Dragon Con if I can see Bruce more than once. I was able to make that happen because I negotiated. Um, right. And, that's that's what we do. Yes, we do. In 2012, <laughs> we went up to Cleveland to see him live because he wasn't coming anywhere close to Texas during that section. And she saw him for the second time live, but this time a little bit prepared. Like when she saw him with The Rising, she didn't know any of the songs. She just was kind of like, I, he did Cadillac Ranch. That's the only song I know. Uh, and uh, we prepared her a little bit and she came back saying, Okay, I don't know if I'm a fan of Bruce, but I'm a fan of him live. And now right. I get why you want to see him anytime you can. In fact, I want to see him anytime I can. Right. Yeah, I think you 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 just hit it on the head. And I, I actually just wrote an essay um, on this for a, a book that a fellow I know is is putting together. Sort of, an, it's almost an academic study of okay. uh, Bruce's work over the years. But it is amazing how you know night to night on a you know I saw him twice at Fenway Park on the um, Wrecking Ball tour and then um, a, a week or so later at uh, Gillette Stadium. So three mm -hmm. shows in close proximity. I mean, there was only a tiny handful of songs that was played at, at all three. Right. Um, the fact that he is able to do that and, and that he puts in the effort to do that. Um, I've seen some really good shows in recent years that I really enjoyed. Bob Seger, um, Tom Petty come to mind. But they all felt very uh, rote. It's yes. like, you know, this is, and if you look at the, the set lists online, you know, that's what they're doing. And they're also not challenging the audience. 
champions. I mean, and, and so you have, sort of have to go in, I think, with a different mindset. When I go to a, a Bob Seger show, and he's going to play every hit. It's a lot of fun. He's really appreciative. You know, it's just a fun night out. Mm-hmm. When you go to see a Springsteen show, you you are, are prepared to be taken to a different place. And the fact that he is able to do it again and again and again is really miraculous. And I think that's what sort of sets him apart. And I, and I think, you know, and, and among other things, and I think sort of that is why I've remained sort of a this faithful a fan all, all these many years. Yeah. I actually, you know, took it upon myself to, um, you know, I'm a journalist by trade. Um, so it comes sort of comes naturally to, you know, look into things and, and write about them and expound upon them. Bruce is, is you know, seemed like it actually when, when I started the blog, so this is going back to 2007, and we was really, you know, uh, my company was sort of looking to, you know, make inroads online. It was, you know, still mm-hmm. the, the new digital world, even, you know, as recently as that. Yeah. And the, the guy who was in charge of new media for the, the company, I remember, suggested, you know, we should be doing blogs on things we like, because it's one thing to do, do it on your beat, so to speak. But, um, you know, we should be doing blogs about our hobbies and our interests, because that you're, you're going to be excited to do it. And that's going to attract people because they're going to sense your excitement. It's like, that's a great idea. I think of the entire company, I'm the only one who did it. <laughs> Everyone was like, yeah, that sounds good. So I was thinking, well, what, what is the one topic I could see myself writing about over and over again? And Springsteen immediately popped in my head. I, I'm always, you know, at that point, I was always checking, you know, for news of a new tour, or news of a new album. Right. Then I'm looking, always looking into this stuff anyway. I, I'm knowledgeable about his background. Let, let's try this. Um, and it really, and I guess at the time, you know, there's a lot more out there right now, but oddly enough, there wasn't um, this real presence online of, a, um, you know, Springsteen fan sites. There was, um, right. you know, BTX was, was active at, at the time, of course, which is the, the Backstreet's uh, message yes. board, although things get kind of ugly on there sometimes, depending <laughs> on how that uh, it, deep into the rabbit hole you're, you're willing to go. It doesn't um, matter what, whether it's science fiction tv or comic books or bruce springsteen if you get on a message board it can get ugly i mean it just it it is the nature of fandom and the internet i think it just bind together you have you have the potential for a lot of greatness and some really sweet online relationships you make friendships but there is that dark side of it isn't there 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 is there is and so i i wouldn't say i was you know i was a lurker at best yes on on btx i started this this blog and immediately created a facebook presence and a twitter presence and it really just took off and you know twitter in particular there was you know it was basically even even backstreets i don't think had a had a big twitter following at that time they were just getting into it so it really did did take off and um I, I met, like you say, uh, you know, you, you can develop, you know, friendships and you meet some really interesting people, you know, through those forums. And I have um, four or five people now who contribute to the blog on a regular basis who were just Twitter people who commented yes. and who, you know, and who I got to know that way. You know, we all had this this thing in common, this sort of, you know, appreciation for for Bruce's music and, you know, sort of a, a desire to, um, to, you know, to discuss it and analyze it and talk about it. And like you said, and do it with a little bit of a sense of humor, appreciate our, you know, how, you know, silly our own obsessions can seem sometimes, but at the same time, sort of embracing them. Um, so we do, we do try to have fun with it. And, you know, in addition to, you know, the news side of it, reporting any of the new stuff that comes out, we like to just have commentary and reviews and, you know, general discussion. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And I love the idea. You do seem to be very positive, and most of the commenters and people that when I read the blog seem to be the same thing focused on you know the good things that are happening and not complain I I guess a friend of mine I was having lunch with him yesterday and he said he saw uh, people already complaining about what isn't on this river box set and you know and he's my friend Sam's like can they not at least hear it first and then decide? Um, you know, it's one thing to be disappointed if there isn't going to be something on there. It is this whole other thing that you immediately focus on what what isn't there instead of what happened. When I go to a live show, I always in the back of my mind have a couple of wish list songs that I'd love to hear. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in our conversation. But I don't go – I don't leave going – well, damn, he didn't do this as your sword. I'm so mad. Uh, you know, I just go, okay, that didn't happen, but I got this instead. Right. The, the other thing, and I want to go back to, but I, you were talking about all these bands and you're seeing, and, and they don't really challenge the audience. Sam, who I was just talking about a few years ago, went to a Tom Petty concert. And I said, how was it? And he said, this is the Tom Petty concert that diehard Tom Petty fans would hate. Because he did all the hits. He says it was everything I, as a fairly casual Tom Petty fan, wanted to hear. And I just picture some guy who has all these deep cuts are going, oh, this again, this again. And we talked about there is a common statement in uh, comic book writing that a comic is someone's first comic. Every Springsteen show is someone's first Springsteen show. So they want to hear glory days or born to run or backstreets or you know or badlands or born to run and you're right he mixes up a way so that i'm kind of give you a little bit everything and the show flows there isn't a okay let's stop here and now i've got to change gears it just keeps rolling right and he uh, you know i mean he has amazing sense for where to take it yes um, right you know, off the cuff, if he has to, you know, yeah, right. we've all seen his written set lists and how they compare to what he actually played. And sometimes, you know, they're complete, completely different animals yes. because he has, you know, he has this instinct that, you know what, we need to, we need to go higher here. Right. I need to bring it down a notch here. You know, he knows how, mm-hmm. how the audience is reacting. And he's seen, there's a quote from him, you know, going back way, way back, I think, where, where uh, he said something in the effect of, um, you know, I, I, I can't say, well, I, I didn't play so good tonight, but I'll play good tomorrow night, or I played good last night, you know, I could take it easy tonight, because every, you know, somebody saved up their money, took their girl, and this is their one night to come out and see me, 
you know, and, and this is, and you could, and he has had this sort of commitment to his audience from day one, and you, you, you could tell by watching him that it's not lip service. It's not just something he's saying. It's, it's there on, on stage. He leaves it all on stage. I mean, this is nothing, you know, nothing anybody who has ever seen him doesn't, doesn't realize. But we, we, like we were saying, if you see enough other artists, what's even more striking, I guess, is how, how rare it is. You know, how, how few artists. You know, he's one of the artists who you know, makes everybody else look like they're not really trying. Well, they are, I'm sure they are. I, I'm yeah. to put them down. But, but um, you know, it's just a different experience. We went to see James Taylor after I had seen Bruce, and I said, you know, I'm not saying James is mailing it in, but, you know, and Linda's looked at me, what are you doing? I saw the Beach Boys 50th anniversary tour the same week that we had seen Bruce in Louisville. And it was just a major difference. And I'm a huge Brian Wilson fan, kind of the way you said, you know, born in the USA, my hearing, I graduated high school in 77 and I got Endless Summer, that Beach Boy, you know, kind of greatest hits eight track. And I'd never heard harmonies like that before and was just amazed at the depth of the musical complexity, even though it is in a lot of ways, very simple music. I saw him... And I saw Brian's solo tour this year, and I loved all of them. And I appreciate the fact that Brian is in his 70s making music, but there is not that complexity of it is, you know, pretty much the same set list with maybe one song changed. Right. Uh, and uh, when if, I, if, he, if he gets, a, you know, Brian Wilson. And if he gets through a whole show, you know, yeah. and, he, and he's conscious and smiling at the end, I think you're 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 in pretty good shape. I, I'm like, you know, this this guy. Trust me, the miles on Brian Wilson and what he has done to himself, as that movie Love and Mercy, you know, this summer, you know, showed so many good things about. Uh, it is amazing. Um, I this is not on the agenda, but I wanted to ask you: Do you find it? amazing sometimes to think about as long as Bruce's career has been how little scandal has reached into him well I think again you know there, there's so many facets to his appeal and I think one of them is the fact that he somehow amazingly seems to have this normal life <laughs> you know with his wife and his kids and you know I mean it's not normal normal like our normal life right. I mean daughter does you know have million dollar horses and yes um you know they live on a big farm and, and all this other stuff but he he seems to and he's spoken about this obviously that you know it, it was important to him always to remain grounded yes um, and to not get too big for his britches and i think there was sort of a conscious bar was it glenneth paltrow who said uh, just conscious uncoupling. I, mm -hmm. I think he con consciously uncoupled with a sizable chunk of the audience that came on after Born in the USA. Yeah. Uh, because I think he said, you know, I, I think he was thinking, okay, I could sort of, you know, spiral out of control here, like a lot of right. guys have tremendous success, or I, I could really try to focus. Um, and, you know, and if you look at his output after that, so then you have Tunnel of Love, a very personal... Yes. You know, a much you know smaller album in in scope, and then disbanding the street band and you know those uh, the work with the other band the solo work the yeah. Tom Joe it really it almost seems like okay I am going to you know whittle this huge amorphous unruly audience back down to the core group that you know will follow me you know where, wherever I choose to go. And then I think when he sort of came, you know, not that he ever really needed to make a comeback, but when, you know, but the, the reunion tour era was certainly sort of like a, you know, a roaring return, by no means a small audience, but I think it, it was full of the people, you know, who had stuck with him that whole time and who, who did appreciate those detours that he took. But, but so that sort of tied into the fact that I think he always found family important uh, and, and made it a point, you know, and also his concentration on, on the work, which led to him, you know, steering clear of drugs and trying to make the band steer clear of drugs and some of the sort of debauchery that it brought down, uh, you know, no, no small number of bands. 
um, you know, in the rock and roll era. So it, it's all these things combined. You know, I think he's somebody, if a big scandal broke tomorrow, there would be a lot of people who were, who'd be crushed. I, I think <laughs> so, too. <laughs> because um, we have this, you know, we've all put him up on a pedestal. He's like, such a great guy. But yeah. there's, you know, the evidence just bounce, you know, keeps mounting. I, I actually was involved with a, um, there's a, a, a young boy in, who was, actually was from New York, but living in, Boston because he was at, at Children's Hospital in Boston. Right. Spina bifida and, um, you know, surgery after surgery. And it's really rough on the family. And they were actually one of the towns we, we cover for my newspaper group. Um, and I caught wind through, uh, you know, the various Facebook channels that this right. kid's one. He just loved Bruce Springsteen. And, and oddly enough, even though he was a young kid, he'd come upon Bruce. Like his parents weren't huge fans. Usually that's how it happens. Right. Some you know, by watching him on TV or whatever, he just became a huge fan of this kid, uh, of, uh, of Bruce. You know, so she was sort of starting a campaign, uh, you know, to, to have him meet him somehow. Right. Uh, and we got behind it on the blog and we shared it around and we did actually do a story on the family in our newspapers. And push comes to shove, the eventually sort of the Make-A-Wish folks took notice. And Bruce was like, sure, I'll meet this kid. Takes time out before for his concert to sit with him and the family for you know half an hour plays him a song poses pictures of them and this thing this type of thing happens again and again and again um, and not that there's nobody else doing it but he really you know seems to put a premium on that type of personal interaction uh, you know it, it's refreshing it is refreshing and this is the young man that tougher than the rest was his favorite song correct I think you're right. Yeah, and yes, I remember that story and, and was so touched by that it was kind of funny because you picture, well, sure, you know, he's a fan because his parents are. The same reason that a lot of people are Catholic because their parents were Catholic, the reason they're Baptist because their parents were Baptist. And this kid just found it on his own, and it is just a wonderful story about that the music and the power. I I have a theory that I think Bruce wants to be a grandfather. When he was here in 2012 in Dallas for the free, you know, NCAA tournament, yep. they played that. And it was a very small crowd because the weather was bad. And so they didn't get a lot of people. And it was a very hit-centric show. Uh, but he knew that his audience would be a lot of people that had not seen him live, that the only reason they were going is because it was a free show and they were there for the Final Four. But he interacted with the kids in the audience more than I've ever seen him do it. And ever since then, it seems like he really is reaching out to the people that are teenagers and younger it, giving them kind of a special attention. And my theory is I guess cynically, he's trying to build a future audience, but I just truly think he's ready to be a grandfather. Well, yeah, he'd clearly be be a great a great grandpa. Oh, <laughs> yes. Recent evidence evidence shows, and it is funny, you know. I mean, I I know so many people who can't stand the waiting on a sunny day oh, segment. That is of, so clear of the concert. Yes, but, yeah, but he's like, this is my my grandpa segment. This is what yes. I'm going to get a little kid up here. And we're going to have fun and laugh, and I'm going to be the goofy old guy. Yes. Um, and, you know, and I've said to, you know, I have very close friends who can't stand that. And yeah. um, I, I can't say, you know, I'm not, I don't love the song necessarily, but I actually really do like that segment in concert. It's fun. It really, you know, and, and it, the way the crowd reacts, mm -hmm. I mean, and I, and I challenge, even the, I think even the grumblers can't yes. help but, like, smile and get into it at, in the moment. Um, oh, and he knows, he knows that, you know, it's going to engage the audience that way. So I think it's fun. Oh, I think it's wonderful. And I, I love when the kid especially has a lot of energy and says, take it, E Street Band. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just smile every, I smile right now yeah. just saying it, you know, this, yeah, I, I totally agree. You've talked about it. Have you counted the times you've seen him live? Mm, not lately. Okay. It's not, I'm not one of these hundred show Guys, I you know probably you know 12, 13 times. You know, basically, I, I see him. You know, I obviously I don't miss him when he comes through Boston. Right. And like I said, that last on the Recce Ball tour, I actually saw him all three times. But you know, often I can't get to every single right. one. Um, you know, I have kids. I have to spend yes. money on their races and their <laughs> their activities. And my concert budget isn't what it was when I was a, a single dude. But um, 
So, Peter, I have the exact same uh, issues. I grew up in Louisiana. My dad was in the Army. We moved around a lot. But we settled, and I spent high school time in a little town called Lake Charles, Louisiana, where you were lucky if you got Willie Nelson appearing. I mean, you know, this not a lot of concerts. And then when we moved to Dallas in 86 – and we had a baby, we had our boy in 89, during that whole when he would tour through Dallas and even the Greatest Hits tour, it just worked out that I couldn't go either because of money or because there was something for the the kids were already doing something that night. That's why, you know, I've seen him 10 times, but all since 2002 because life gets in the way. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that. How it happens and you know and i know I've, I've talked to you know a woman who's um contributed to our our blog who's a little older and I remember mm-hmm. she said you know the whole period your kids were really small as a blur and you know he yeah. came through town and she barely even knew because you are you know right so focused when they're so little uh, but it is you know it is nice as they as they get older but that's exactly why um yeah when he came through uh, you know, for the reunion tour and the rising tour, yeah. I went. My because my I'm lucky that my wife is is a big fan like I am. But mm-hmm. uh, we have to split up the concerts. I go <laughs> if it came two nights. I went the first night, and she was home with the baby or babies. Yes. Um, and then the second night, you know, so I'd go with a friend. The second night, she'd go with her sister, who's another big fan, and I'd be home with the kids. You know, because it's it's a lot. Because we all know with the, when you're going to a Bruce show, this is not a um, you know a minor commitment. No, for whoever's watching the kids, you know, that you are out until, you know, particularly if the show's an hour away. Right. Um, he's playing till 1130. And, you know, it's, it's yes. you know, and you're in the parking lot till 1230. So um, it was a lot to ask the in-laws and um, we're still working at the time. So we split them up. And, you know, but this last time they were old enough to say, you know, OK, just stay home. We'll be home at some point and, <laughs> you know, and yes. we can make it out to more shows. So, you know, that and I think, you know, Bruce has that sort of. um you know, when you're when you're as popular as he's been for forty something years, yes. You know, you have every level of fan, and it really is interesting to see the the old timers who started with him at the at the beginning, the, yes. the grandparents, um, you know, and they sort of the people at my age who came came in in that big wave in the eighties, mm-hmm. um, and there are a lot of younger fans who don't seem to, you know, I mean, there's the people there with their with their parents who are real young right. sometimes, but they. You know, I mean, he seems to have um, established, you know, sort of a foothold on the people who are now in their 20s and 30s. Um, and and I, I think part of that might be, you know, and, and more than ever, like, I, I think at one point it was sort of considered, you know, to, to say Bruce Springsteen, if you were a musician, to say Bruce Springsteen was an influence, you know, uh, that wasn't something you did and still seemed cool. Right. Um, but at some point, you know, maybe in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, that seemed to turn around. And yes. now you have a lot of younger artists who point to him as, as a, an influence. I'm a, some of them a major influence, and you hear his influence in, in their work. Um, and I think that sort of engenders a young audience. Now, I know I found you know, a lot of new artists um, who I enjoy through Bruce because they've, they've said you know, he's an influence and you know, people like Gaslight Anthem and The Hold Steady and, and, and some of these other um, you know, newer bands. Yes. Uh, uh, who I probably wouldn't have discovered otherwise, um, you know, and I, but I think so, there are also fans, you know, young fans of these bands who have discovered Bruce through them. So it's, it's working both ways and it's sort of an interesting circle there, uh, you know, of, of music. It is very much so. And um, I just had, in fact, it released today, um, uh, a fellow podcaster, Wendy Hembrock, joined me and we talked Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is a major Pearl Jam fan, and she talked about Eddie's fandom of Bruce and how doing together. And so I, I think it is – I say that the one of the biggest insults you can give someone, depending on you, how you word it, is, you know, he forgot where he came from or – you know, he hasn't forgotten where he came from. And Bruce seems to me has not forgotten where he came from, both musically and socially. And he is incredibly grounded and seems to give a lot of credit to artists that came before him. Um, And then also seems to really embrace new musicians, wants to any advice they can give him or play. And, uh, I guess the poor guy can't go to a show anymore and just watch, right? He's like, I'm like, come on, Bruce, just, just, just play a little bit with us. 
it, yeah, it, it is true. I, 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 uh, I don't envy him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that particular aspect of fame. Yes. Um, so tell me, talk about you published a book. So talk to me a little bit about the book, and then I want to go about, you know, how did you decide and what you did? I love the book, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, a lot of good discussions. It's uh, Glory Days, Springsteen's Greatest Albums. Why did you – I guess it seems I do a blog. I might as well do a book, right? Well, it, well it's interesting. I, I was actually – it wasn't something I had necessarily considered, except maybe in the far uh, – deep vestiges of my mind, but I right. felt too busy uh, and uh, too, you know, not, not focused enough. Um, but I was actually approached by Endeavor Press in London, who had, had come across the blog, I guess, and they do a series of these books, you know, that focus on a particular, you know, sort of legacy artist's greatest album. And the idea being you sort of analyze um, a, a chunk of their work and decide which is best. So they approached me um, and sort of laid out what they were looking for. And I said, well, you know what? You know, why not? Sure. <laughs> you know, they, they seem to know what they're doing, you know, and it, it, it avoided the sort of hassles that come along with self-publishing. I was able right. to you know, just write it and deliver it to, to a publisher. Um, um, it was really interesting putting it together. I mean, first, the first big challenge was, you know, it's, it's we wanted to make it a, a very low price point. Um, right. You know, the book is an ebook that's you know it's like two ninety nine on on Amazon. So the idea is you know make it short and to the point. And uh, we decided okay we're gonna talk. I'm gonna talk about eight albums you know in depth. Right. Um, and then pick, pick the top. And we didn't even have enough room for the top ten. <laughs> so wow. Just, so narrowing it down to those eight was was probably the hardest part. You know and I, and I wound up leaving out you know and th this this was the hardest part. I wound up leaving out um, his first two albums, Greetings right. and. Um, you know, wilderness and um, not because I don't love them, but because I, you know, it seemed like any discussion, if you got to pick, pick what the best one is, it's, it's something that came out from born to run <laughs> forward. Mm -hmm. um, right. And uh, so, you know, since I had to narrow it down, I did, if I had to go back, I think I would have lobbied to do 10 because <laughs> I still feel bad to this day about leaving, yeah. leaving those two out. Um but, you know, and then from there, so then I went, um, you know, chronologically through, uh, you know, my, my top eight, so to speak. Right. Um, and that led, led into analysis of, of um, you know, which, which I deem the best. And I guess, uh, you know, I, should I say? Should I say which one I Sure, think? I think so. Well, okay. before, you say, before the big reveal, yeah, before the reveal. Uh, you say in the in the book, but I'd like you to say for our audience, and then I'm going to urge them very much to go. It is a great read, so I can't urge you enough to get it. So talk to me about your logic. Okay, so there you can only do about eight or so albums when you and you don't want to go by sales because then that's unfair. What was your kind of criteria in your mind, and what you kind of looked and discussed and uh, right. Was it the number of really strong songs compared to the number of weaker songs? <laughs> oh boy, this is going to be horrible. Queen of the Supermarket song alone makes that, you know, working on Dream is now behind. <laughs> and for those of you who love Queen of the Supermarket, that's just a joke. I could have made any other, you know, it, just, it was a cheap shot. So, uh, yes. you know, so tell me a little bit about that, Peter. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, there were certain ones that, are going to be on the list because of you know their their place in history already at the, at right. the time. I mean, there's no discussion of Springsteen's great work does not include Born to Run, Darkness on the Edge of Town, Nebraska. You know, I, I guess would would be the three that you know are absolute must. Right. Uh, I I I feel like the River is is in that category. I I felt like, like Tunnel of Love was in that category. That that amazing run. You know, yes. from the uh, mid, you know, mid '70s to to the late '80s. Right. Um, you know, so there was I was no, there were there was no way I was leaving any of those out. Yes. Um, you know, even like we, we talked a little bit earlier about born in the USA, how some people you know are, are right. soured on it, but I, I I've always been convinced that that was more because of its popularity than have anything to do with its. I totally its agree. I I think the tunnel of love doesn't get as much, and and the um. You know, just Lynette Corella, 
I'm sorry, Lynette's podcast where she talks about she does a Bruce Springsteen podcast every once in a while. You know, she just recently had somebody on at the beginning of the year going through track by track Tunnel of Love and how strong it is. And in a lot of ways, it could be one of my favorite albums. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, and you also have to know that some of these are a little bit dated because of the music, but, you know, the style of music, but that doesn't mean it's not great. Um, right. I mean, ton, Tunnel of Love of all of them has that sort of, um, right. you know, sort of, uh, you know, synthesizer-y. I don't, yes. know, I don't even know what you'd, what you'd call it, but they've had that 80s feel to it a little bit. But so then once I had those, I only had a couple of slots left. Right. So it was a matter of deciding, okay, which of his more recent works fit in, into that formula? And there's certain ones that I, I discounted right away. Human Touch, mm-hmm. uh, you, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, goes actually right to the bottom of my list. Working on a Dream, I, I you know, similarly, yeah, you know, there, you know, there are a couple that I, I liked a lot for various reasons, but that I didn't feel quite made the cut. You know, right. Lucky, Lucky Town, I enjoy very much, but has a certain has a certain sameness to it. Right. Uh, Ghost to Tom Jode is a, I think, in many ways, you know, its own type of masterpiece, but it's, it's right. It's very challenging, um, and you know I think there's something to be said for melody, which he he sort of stays away from on on mm-hmm. that. I mean, I think that's what makes Nebraska such an amazing album that that it's it, it is so stark. Yes. Um, but there, you know, because he wrote those songs, I think for the full band, right? They they still have you know they have you know a certain melody and a certain um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, musical appeal, yeah. you know, that goes that. The, not all the um, Tom Jones songs necessarily. Had. So this is, you know, so we sort of went through this. It was a process of elimination right. more than anything else. And the the two more recent albums that wound up making the cut, one was The Rising, which I, I feel is, is a sort of complicated and, and somewhat flawed um, masterpiece, but has, you know, enough enough heft to it and enough sort of um, sort of social implications and you know and great music frankly you know yeah and justify a discussion of it at the very least and it is one you know it is the first album i heard him do live you know so it has special thoughts to me but even as a you know proponent of the album you could sometimes go and this is where you come across a little bit negative as you go well you know it may have been by deletion. It may have been better. Like a couple of songs taken out may have actually made it a stronger album. Right. Well, I've heard it referred to as Bruce Bloat. Okay. Um, yeah, I can see that line here and there. Yeah. And I and I actually make that argument in the book. I think that uh, yeah. as a ten or eleven song album instead of a fifteen or sixteen. Yes. That it had it would have been tighter and yeah. and stronger. Um, and the other one I picked was Wrecking Ball because I I, I really think that. Um, you know, it is is one of his he's certainly one of his strongest albums since, um, you know, 1987. <laughs> you know, I mean, it in in the way that it, um, you know, is it's sort of a, it tackles a theme. Um, you know, it, it the songs are about something, you know, which is something generally that right. uh, Springsteen has that a lot of artists yeah. just don't. And and the way it brought together so many of these different musical influences that he'd exhibited in sort of fits and starts in the decade before the, the yeah. secret sessions, um, sort of Americana mm-hmm. feel and, you know, the, you know, sort of introspective, you know, devils of dust kind of stuff. I felt like it all came together in that album and it, and it took some chances and it was a sort of a, you know, tough subject matter about a failing economy and the, right. the way, you know, the, government has failed us and all these things but it had a, a buoyancy to it that you know that Ghost of Tom Joe didn't have for instance you know it, it um, the way he approached it and I think that sort of uh, you know Americana feel um, you know it was appropriate for the subject matter and it and it sort of buoyed the album a little bit um, yeah. it, and I, uh, yeah and so I, I that too sort of felt like one you well, know even more than than Magic for instance which I also also was sort of you know very thematic and which I liked a lot. Uh, I, I was I, just going to make the same point, Peter, that, you know, I love magic. I love I'll work for your love girls in their summer clothes. I mean, that is I feel like his version of a Brian Wilson song. But 
overall, Wrecking Ball, especially when you think about where it is in his career, it is it's it's vital. It's talking about things. It has a theme. There is an energy to it that really in context you go wow this is amazing that at his point he can do something this strong yeah i i completely agree and not only that um i remember at the time the the amount of commentary and analysis it inspired um you know in the top you know in the new york times in the, yeah. you know, in the you know in all the major publications and you know he he that he is still relevant enough 40 years in that um, even if p- certain people were critical of certain aspects of it, the fact that you know it engendered that type of consideration and discussion it was pretty amazing. Um, and it, you know, and that it was worthy of you know, and that it you know that it debuted at number one. Um, you know, and that a lot has to do with John Landau. I think is very good at picking release dates. Yes, I think so. <laughs> you know, but hey, but you know, and then, yeah. he, then he would come out when Bruce was you know he did that sort of. Um, uh, introduction to his concerts that he would do himself introducing himself yeah and he'd say you know wrecking ball number one for one straight week yes <laughs> you know? hey but it was there but how many you know i think it's amazing that how many of those songs have kind of made it on the new you know set list that they've and i guess this last tour you could almost say is you know the wrecking ball slash high hopes tour you know kind of combined right. but i do think there's like I feel there's a good chance Shackled and Drawn is going to keep being played live, you know, especially, you know, if they continue to have this, the E Street Orchestra, the way they did this last tour, um, because it's a great song live. Yeah, it fits right in. I don't know if you saw um, Springsteen and I, the uh, documentary yes. about Springsteen fans, and if, if you saw it in the in the theaters, they tack on that concert. Yes. But- the end and um that song in particular it, um seeing that on the big screen with the with the massive sound you know yes. really drove home like you say just what a, what a great song it is yes. and a great song it is in, in concert and he's very good at that at, at sort is. of keeping um you know certain songs in the rotation yes um you know it's so it's not just you know just the, the greatest hits and i and i think you know he knows what plays on stage and, he and does does so peter before we spoil and you name your um what your opinion and i want to stress uh you know peter is just giving he was paid to give his opinion he and and so if you disagree it's okay but is there anything now this has been a little bit of time besides not including the first two albums and not getting it to 10 is there anything you kind of say maybe i get this one a little higher or this one a little lower or you go ahead no, I was say pretty. It changes pretty much every day. Like, like at a certain point, I had to say, "Okay, these are them." Yes. Because um, I do rank, you know, at the end of the book, in addition, to, although I write essays on eight of them, I do rank, um, you know, one through right. seventeen, you know, all the the albums that were out at that point. Um, this was pre High Hopes. Yes. Um, when I wrote the book, and um, and I, I really, I, I, I do go go back and forth on on a lot of them. You know, I think, mm-hmm. you know, Born in the USA, I put at eight. Um, I might even go a little higher with that now. Right. The more I, you know, um, the more I listen to it, because like we said, I, I mean, there's 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 a certain depth there that people don't don't give it credit for. You know, I think the the middle of them, I I'm pretty happy with, but the the top one and two. Okay. All right. The, you know, the, I had it narrowed down to, not too hard to guess, Born to Run and Darkness on the Edge of Town. Right. Uh, and. You know, my so I went through my my arguments for both, and you know, Born to Run, you know, you know, musically the you know his the nods to his influences and right. the, the, the sort of you know an, anthemic, you know, style of it, and um, the way uh, you know it, it sort of embraced this idea of escape, and um, you know, it, you know, and it, it really you know it, it soared in in so many ways. And uh, I no, think no, and and they say a lot in sports like. Uh, if Joe Montana isn't the greatest quarterback of all times, he's in the discussion. If Thunder Road and Born to Run aren't in Bruce's top songs, they're in the discussion. Right. So and you I, have two of those songs on one album. Right. And I think um, I should mention, if I had to pick the song yes. that's going to come to the desert island with me, yeah, um, it would be Thunder Road. I think it's it's just perfect. You know, yes. I mean, it's really an amazing 
you know, it, just an amazing song. So, so that it had that going for it. And then you have Darkness, which obviously is appropriately darker. And um, it's starker. I mean, this is if that is yeah. Bruce bloated, this is Bruce um, anorexic. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's down to the you know, and as you know, and it's legendary how he recorded yeah. so many songs, and we heard a lot of them on the Promise set that that came out a few years back. That um, and that he, show just itself, right? If he did the Promise. <laughs> Wow, it's a lot of great songs, but go ahead. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's amazing what got left off. Yeah. Um, but that he whittled and whittled and whittled down to, you know, the mm -hmm. the barest essence. Um, yeah. And that album, you know, whereas Born to Run was it was about, you know, escape. Um, you know, that, uh, you know, Darkness was about, well, what happens when there's nowhere to escape to? And, you know, how do you, you know, how do you deal with that, um, you know, mm -hmm. that realization? And I think... Um, you know, I, and what I compared it in the in the book, I think I said, you know, something to the effect of, you know, Born to Run sort of soars overhead and darkness on the edge of the town is just like going through rough terrain with a blowtorch. I mean, right. he is just, you know, pounding through it. And I think, you know, but, but what I love about darkness, I mean, you know, because he even joked himself when that first time he did it straight through um, at the, it was a, um, a charity show, I think, at the, um, mm -hmm. the Basie, uh, Camp Basie B and um, you know going back a few years you know he said you know we have to do darkness first because otherwise we're going to send you out of here you know uh, contemplating suicide it's so <laughs> yes um, he said he wanted to end with born to run but i think but that, that's not entirely true because you know so many of those songs you know they are about you know sort of being beaten down but about how you you, you keep getting up um you know and the, you know the promised land has that prove it all night has that um, you know, and it ends kind of on a on a on a uh, tough note with darkness on the edge of town. But um, I, I think there there is enough hope and redemption, um, you know, in those songs and in that song cycle, um, you know, to sort of rise it above. And that's why, drum roll, please. Uh, at the end, I did choose darkness, you know, as as my number one album. Um, but you know, I again, it depends on until you ask me. Sure. We just had this. Um, 40th anniversary, obviously, of, of Born to Run, and, and you know, there were a lot of people revisiting the album, and I, I went through a lot of that, and, and I listened to it again. You know, I yeah. pulled it out, you know, pulled out my vinyl copy, and, you know, uh, or maybe it was my other vinyl copy <laughs> or my vinyl copy. I have a lot. Right. Bruce has a lot of my money. Yes. Um, but anyway, um, and I was like, wow, you know, I should have picked this one. <laughs> this is such a great <laughs> album. You know, I mean, it's just so, you know, it, it's just such a, you know, a moving uh, album and an amazing if this kid was 24 years old to be able to um, sort of harness so many of, of his influences and make it something original and make it something you know it's an album from that long ago that you could put it on today I mean it does not sound dated at all no it doesn't at all I mean how many albums from 1975 could you say that about yes um you know he was you know so he tapped into something um that that uh, is just so rich you know, so who knows? Maybe I screwed that one up. I don't know. Oh, I, ask, I, me, ask me tomorrow and I'll say darkness <laughs> again. So it's almost a time. I've told this story before, but um, I had seen Bruce alive seven times and had never heard him do Thunder Road. And I agree with you that if if I had to, Land of Hope and Dreams would be my top song of his, but Thunder yes, Road is right there. And so at the Dallas show, he ended with Thunder Road. Just him, Patty sang a little background, and I was like, oh, life is good. I am happy. So then I went to Nashville, and my friend had seen him in Cincinnati, and he says, man, he, he gets out with the pump organ. He does Dream Baby Dream. I need to know what you think because he goes from being live, and there's recorded music, and I want to know what you think. And I go, God, I can't wait to see that. So he ended with Thunder Road. <laughs> like, oh, great. OK. And then when I was in Houston, he ended with Thunder Road again. And I said, OK, only I cannot complain about not hearing Dream Baby Dream when I was sitting there going, wow, I've never heard Thunder Road live. And then I heard it three times in a row. Yes, that's weird. Uh, yeah, it was very <laughs> weird. <laughs> So what a coincidence. Yeah, I, I have taken way too much of your time, Peter, but it's been a blast. I did want to finish with, okay, we're all hoping that he tours in 2016. You've reached the point now where your 4-year-old can watch the rest of the crew. You and your lovely bride are going to go to the show. Do you have a couple of songs you want to hear him perform live? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, there's a few I, I've yet to hear. I think, um, I don't know if you if you know Dave Lifton. He's a, a, a blogger and a, he had a, 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 a occasional podcast too and, okay. a, and a, a real Bruce uh, nut. Sort of an, an unofficial contest of who's going to see um, Incident on 57th Street first. Neither of us have yeah. seen it. <laughs> okay. uh, and uh, the one of us is going to really rub it into the other one if, if we get it first. Um, so that's definitely, definitely up there. And one of my, my favorite sort of obscure tracks um, by Bruce that I would love to see him do is None But the Brave, which um, you might remember from the, I think it was on the Essential, Bruce Springsteen, right. you know, that, that extra disc um, is where you might have heard it. And it's just, um, uh, you know, li little heard, li little performed. Yeah. But I, I, I consider that song, it's really about, you know, sort of how, you, you can't relive the past, mm -hmm. you know, and how, how the, you know, even if people and, and situations that you once knew are still out there somewhere, you know, you have to move on from them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's like Bruce's Great Gatsby in a way. I think it's, yeah. I mean, there's a whole novel in that song. Um, so if I had to, to pick a, an obscurity, um, that's definitely one I'd love to hear him do. Okay. So, Peter, maybe after the box set comes out, maybe you can join me again, and maybe I'll get one other person, and the three of us can kind of go through some of the highlights of the box set and talk about it. I would love to have you back on again. That would be great. Okay, I'll start saving now. Yeah, I know. That's uh, <laughs> It's on my Christmas wish list. I like So I may not get it till Christmas Day, even oh, yeah. though my wife will go, okay, yes, I'm going to pay this money, but you're not getting it to Christmas Day. Yeah, Christmas is, will be the earliest I have it. Yeah. Absolutely. That sounds like a date. Yes, fun. it does. Um, so t if people want to find you, how can they find you? Um, definitely visit the blog, um, springsteen.wickedlocal.com, um, or search for Blogness um, on the Edge of Town on Facebook. Um, By the way, I'm going to stop you. Um, I had a couple of guys that do a podcast called Springtime for Springsteen on the show, and they thought I did Blogness. And I said, no, no, no. They said, but that is the greatest name of a blog ever. <laughs> I do want to tell you that as well. I think that as well. That is so funny and clever. Good job. Well, thank you. It's long, but I think, I think it gets to the point. Absolutely. <laughs> and your Twitter? Um, and we are at Blogness on Twitter. Okay. So you'll find us in, in one of the three. Yes. And I cannot urge you enough, if you have not read Glory Days, Springsteen Greatest Albums, um, even though Peter is not sure if he picked the right one, depending on the day, it is a great read. And he gives all props to the eight ones he discussed. He talks about what their strengths are and weaknesses, and it's a very fun read for a fan. And even if you're not a fan. Peter, thank you so much. And you, listener, if you want to be on the podcast and talk about Bruce and all that implies, please send an email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page, and we are on Twitter at setlustingbruce. Appreciate you going to iTunes to rate and review us. It helps people find us. And I'm going to close with now some folks are born into a good life. Other folks, they just get it away anyhow. Me, while well, I lost my faith, when I lost my wife, but these things don't seem matter much to me now. Thank you, Peter. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Jesse. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.